smiled a couple of times as you're reading that. Brought a smile to my face when I think of some of the wording there. Let's look at this passage here. Just a moment, let's pray as we look to the Lord. Lord, as Steve just sung, may that be the prayer of our hearts. Teach us, Lord. Speak to our hearts. Wherever we may find ourselves in this morning, may our hearts be open to what it is you want to say to us. That you would direct me, that you would empower me, that it would all go the way you want it to go. For your glory and honor, in Jesus' name, amen. What if you could read your own obituary? Well, one morning back in the late 1800s, a Swedish chemist named Alfred, the inventor of dynamite, awoke to read his own obituary. It said, Dr. Alfred Nobel, who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before, died yesterday. The obituary was printed as a result of a simple journalistic error. You see, it was Alfred's brother who had died, and the reporter carelessly reported the death of the wrong brother. And you can imagine the jolting effect of reading your own obituary. To Alfred, the shock was overwhelming because he saw himself as the world saw him, the dynamite king, the great industrialist who made an immense fortune from explosives. As far as the general public was concerned, this was the entire purpose of Alfred's life. None of his true intentions to break down the barriers that separated men and ideas for peace were recognized. He was simply known as a merchant of death, and for that alone, he would be remembered. As he read his own obituary with horror, he resolved. He resolved to make clear to the world the true meaning and purpose of his life. The result was one of the most valuable of prizes given to those who had done the most for the cause of world peace. Alfred Nobel Institute was called today the Nobel Peace Prize. Nobel was quoted as saying, every person ought to have the chance to correct his epitaph in midstream and write a new one. I think Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, would agree with that statement. Doug Murin put it this way, few things will change us as much as looking at our life as though it is finished. Now, this may all sound morbid, but stay with me. And so look with me at this passage in your Bibles, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, as we're going to make our way down through this passage. And as we have seen each week in Ecclesiastes, it forces us to wrestle with what really matters in life. As you've gone through this book, have you been squirming a bit? (laughs) Has it made you all a little uncomfortable? Well, guess what? Today's not going to be any different. The subject that has been hinted at throughout this book, Solomon now hits head on. It's a positive message about a negative subject. And by coming to terms with the reality of death, we can enter into the fullness of life. In other words, the best way to be prepared to live, to really live, is to be prepared to die. And what we really have here is a biblical philosophy on living. After all, don't forget about living. 
The question for us to grapple with is if we, know, if we knew the day of our death, how would that change the rest of our days? Few things will change us as much as looking at our life as though it is finished. And the passage here in Ecclesiastes breaks down into two big sections. The first section is prepared to die, verses 1 through 6. Prepared to die, verses 1 through 6. And then prepared to live, verses 7 through 12. And you see, if we're going to be prepared to die, we must first come to terms with the reality of death so we can prepare for it. And there are a few realities I want to point out here that we find in this passage. One of the first realities that puts all the rest in its proper place is the sovereign hand of God. That is the very first reality, the sovereign hand of God. Verse 1 says, chapter 9, So I reflected on all this, all that he's been written about, all that he he has done, I have reflected on all this and concluded... It is as if Solomon is saying here, I have lived a great portion of my life without God. I've tried it all. Unrestrained sex, life in the fast lane, making it to the top of the ladder, getting drunk, eating it up, uh, uh, going to all the buffets and eating those, uh, everything there, reading all the best sellers. Got my bachelor's, I have my master's, I have my PhD. I've tried religion even. And they aren't what they're cracked up to be, now I know better. He goes on in verse 1 with his conclusion. Having seen all that, he says that the righteous and the wise and what they do, here's the conclusion, are in God's hands. But no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. You see, behind whatever happens is a God who hasn't lost a handle on the controls, not even for a millisecond. Do you need to hear that this morning? It's as as the the late Francis Schaeffer would say, God is there and he is not silent. That ache in your soul that no one else knows about, God is there, he is not silent. That injustice that just makes you want to scream, God is there and he is not silent. That loss, that that difficulty, that personal struggle, that silent suffering that, that weighs heavily on your heart, God is there and He is not silent. What you do are in God's hands. Now again... This is not encouraging us toward a fatalistic philosophy, philosophy that says, well, the game is fixed. Uh, just resign yourself. Okay, sirrah, sirrah. We'll see in a moment that to live with the reality of the sovereign hand of God shouldn't push us to passivity, uninvolvement, and a dreadful existence, but rather toward building a life of purpose and meaning. We're going to see that in a moment. You see, a biblical philosophy on living must include, as its starting place, the sovereignty of God. No man knows, it says here in verse 1. No man knows. We don't know what will come at us next. We don't know what is ahead around the corner. We can't control it. Doesn't that just drive you nuts sometimes? (laughs) Well, it caused me to go insane except that I know it's all in the capable hands of God. You see, I can either accept that or continually fight against it. 
The sovereign hand of God is the very first reality, and we must come to terms with this as we face a future filled with uncertainty. There's a second reality we must face, and that is death is unavoidable. Death is unavoidable. Look what it says in verse 2. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good man, so with the sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, or so with those who are afraid to take them. What is he saying? Death levels the playing fields. The righteous, the wicked, the wealthy, the poor, the well-known, the unknown, they're all cemetery neighbors. As it's been said, death is the cousin everyone shares and no one has met. We only know that he will get around to see every relative sooner or later. (laughs) See, we all have an appointment to meet with God. And there are no mix-ups with God. You you might have heard the story of of the young business owner who was operating a new branch office. And so a friend decided to send a floral arrangement for the grand opening. And when the friend arrived at the grand opening of this business, he was appalled to find that his wreath bore the inscription, Rest in Peace. (laughs) Apparently, there was some mix-up. So he called the florist to complain, and the florist said, Hey, you know, we're really sorry about that, but look at it this way. Somewhere, a man was buried under a wreath today that said, Good luck in your new location. (laughs) (laughs) See, we're all destined to die once. The question is, what will be your new location? A cemetery has a tombstone which bears this epitaph. Pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. And an unknown passerby scratched the following reply underneath. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. (laughs) See, death is unavoidable. To ignore or deny that reality leads to madness. That's what verse 3 bluntly says. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, they join the dead. The word madness could be translated insanity. A response to the unavoidable reality of death is to fill our lives with insane activities that we figure will keep us occupied enough to not think about it. See, you can run, but you cannot hide. The question is, are you prepared to die? And you may be here today, and you're still registered in Adam's obituary column. You can have your name written in in the Lamb's book of life and start over. Death is not the final word. Scripture tells us that just as through one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin, through Jesus Christ, the gift of eternal life is offered to all. And only those who put their trust in the finished work of Christ and what he's done on the cross are truly prepared for that appointed time in which they pass from this life to the next. And that offer of eternal life is extended to you as long as you're still breathing. He goes on to say just that, verse 4. He says, anyone who's among the living has hope. Anyone who's among the living has hope. Even a live dog, which was a despised animal in those days. A live dog is better off than a dead lion, which was the king of the jungle. 
See, as long as you're living, you still have hope. Three friends were discussing. They they were asking this question. When you're in the casket and friends are mourning over you, what would you like them to say? And the first one answered, well, I'd like them to say I was a wonderful husband, a fine spiritual leader, and a great family man. The second one replied, I'd like them to say I was a wonderful teacher who made a huge difference in people's lives. The third friend said, oh, I'd like them to say, look, he's moving. (laughs) Yeah, right. See, as long as you're moving, there is hope. There is hope for change. There is hope to receive the gift of eternal life. There's hope to repent. There's hope to grow. There's hope to live as you were meant to live as long as you're still moving. And you all are. Are you prepared to die? Verses 5 and 6 are the bridge to what comes next in Solomon's discussion of the inevitable. Follow along as I read verse 5. For the living now, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. How true that is. Verse 6. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Now it's verse 6 that begins to put everything into perspective. By way of application, the question asked here from verse 6 is, what am I doing with my days? Is it really worth all my time and energy to hate and to be jealous? Is that really how I want to spend the time I have here? Is that a good investment? In my time left under the sun, what are the petty things I am bothered by and the earthly flammable things I am chasing? If you knew the day you were going to die, how do you suppose you would spend the days just before it? That's exactly what Solomon drives home next. It's in verses 7 through 10. Solomon turns a corner. He's saying there's a better way. There's God's way. Be prepared to live. Be prepared to live. He begins in verse 7 by saying, go, or go then, suggesting that even though death is inevitable, don't just sit around and wait for your number to come up. Go on and live. Go. Don't just sit there and groan. Get on with life. You know Christ. You prepared to die? You know that your new location is in heaven? Then believer, you are alive. I considered entitling this sermon, Have a Blast While You Last. (laughs) To borrow a line from Chuck Swindoll. Solomon provides us with a great counsel on how to live 365 days a year. Look at the rest of verse 7. It says, go, get on with life. Go, eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. Now, you need to be reminded that in the Jewish culture, the meal was a very important time. The meal time occurred after a grueling and long day of work. Scripture often speaks of the blessing of the shared meal. Jesus enjoyed meals with others. On the night before his betrayal, his mistreatment, dying a criminal's death on the cross, he shared a meal with his disciples. Jesus used the analogy of knocking on our door, and if we invited him in, he would eat with us and us with him. 
at the end of the book of Revelation. A picture, a glimpse of what it's going to be like in heaven. We're enjoying a wedding feast. Now, unless I miss my guess, folks, we're going to eat well in heaven. (laughs) And you know how good the food's going to taste there? See, in our culture and fast-paced world, we have lost lost the pleasure of a shared meal. Yet one of my fondest memories growing up was, was of the fun, the laughter around the dinner table. While being prepared to die, brothers and sisters in Christ, don't forget about living. Oh, that I could live each day with a passion of knowing not whether I will have another day. What's the alternative? Well, it's been said that life is what happens to you while you're making other plans. Someone expressed it this way. First, I was dying to finish high school and start college. And then I was dying to finish college and start working. And then I was dying to get married and have children. And then I was dying for my children to grow old enough so I could return to work. And then I was dying to retire. And now I'm dying. And suddenly realized I forgot to live. And sadly for too many, the epitaph is best expressed this way. Died age 26, buried age 64. Solomon goes on in verse 8 to speak of wearing white and being anointed with oil. Again, I believe this is speaking to the times in our lives we get all decked out. We sprinkle on some people, they kind of pour the cologne and perfume on, and then they attend this festive activity. What's he saying? Don't forget about living. Believers, we can live now in the fullest sense. Why don't we hold back? Verse 9. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love. Men, do you have a wife? Enjoy her immensely. Why is it, men, that after you get your wife, you stop courting her and you stop having fun? Have a blast in that marriage of yours. Married couples, I know that life can be hard sometimes. And yes, it isn't all fun and games, but please don't stop having fun. I really enjoy my wife. And I don't want to embarrass her here, so I'm going to leave it at that. (laughs) And wives, be enjoyable. Be lovely. Make it easier, not more difficult for your husband to enjoy you. Is life a real struggle right now? It may be. Are you in a season of life in which it's tough to enjoy it? Well, the end of verse 9 reminds us to accept our lot in life and move forward. Don't get stuck there. It says, verse 9, For this is your lot in life, the end of 9, and in your toilsome labor under the sun. He's saying God is taking you somewhere. Again, we can fight that or we can accept that and move ahead with passion. He says in verse 10, here's the passion, here's the excitement. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. In other words, that endless task, whatever it is, of doing the dishes or or raising your kids or completing those homework assignments or serving behind the scenes or working for someone else or, or visiting or calling or leading or singing or preaching, throw yourself fully into it. Reminds me of a young minister 
who was asked by a funeral director to hold a graveside service for a homeless man who had no family or friends. The funeral was to be held at a cemetery way back in the country, and this man would be the first to be laid to rest there. This new minister was not familiar with the backwoods area, and he got lost driving there. And being a typical man, he didn't stop and ask for directions. He finally arrived, but an hour late. He saw the crew eating lunch, but the hearse was nowhere in sight. He apologized to the workers for his tardiness, and he stepped to the side of the open grave where he saw a vault lid already in place. He assured the workers he would not hold them long, but this was the proper thing to do. The workers gathered around, still eating their lunch. The minister poured out his heart and soul as he preached. The the workers began to say, Amen, praise the Lord, glory. He preached and he preached like he'd never preached before from Genesis all the way to Revelation. (laughs) He closed the lengthy service with a prayer and he walked to his car. He felt he had done his best for this homeless man and that crew would, would leave with a renewed sense of purpose and dedication in spite of his tardiness. Well, as he was opening the door in the car and taking off his coat, he overheard one of the workers say to another, I have never seen anything like this before. And I've been putting in septic tanks for 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) Now, there's a man, though, who put his all into it. What is it that Jim Elliott would say? Wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt. Every situation you believe to be the will of God. The time to really live is now. The time to invest in others is now. The time to give yourself to what really matters is now. The time to win the victories is now. It's been aptly said, we have all eternity to which to enjoy our victories, but only one short life in which to win them. In other words, don't forget about living. Remember I said last week that sometimes as Christians we can be such a grim-looking bunch? Some are afraid of having a blast. That the no-fun police are going to come and squash it. Have a blast while you last, and just maybe, just maybe... While we're having fun, while we're enjoying the Lord, we're taking Him seriously. Don't get me wrong. But we're enjoying the Lord. We're having a blast while we last. Just maybe someone will come up to us and ask, what's with it with you? Tell me the reason for the hope that you have because I want that. Is anyone asking? I have to ask that myself. Is anyone asking? What's your philosophy of living? Have you adopted the world's philosophy? Well, Solomon ends his counsel on this subject with these words, verse 11 and 12. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come, as fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare. So men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly Upon them. The race is on. Someone has put it, I am in a rat race and the rats are winning. (laughs) The world has told us, the world has told us that if we are to be successful, 
We must get up early. We must go to bed late. We must make work our highest priority. We must make money now and wait on raising our kids. The message the world sends us is if we're going to make it, then we're going to need, run, need to run faster than the other guy. Be stronger, be more competitive, be more clever, be more manipulative. Don't you believe it? Success as the world has defined it is overrated. And it's not what we think. You see, while it's generally true that in this world the fastest, the strongest, the smartest, the more competitive, the more clever went out, God can turn all of it on its head in a moment's time. End of verse 12. Unexpectedly. And some of you experience that. You move in a certain direction, you make all your plans, when suddenly, what happens? Everything comes to a screeching halt. Just when you may feel yourself secure in your own plans, your world falls down like a stack of cards in a matter of seconds. You can build a name for yourself. You can have a house full of toys. You can collect the other person's money each time they land on Boardwalk and Park Place. But in the end, it all goes back in the box, remember? So what will it be? What's shaping your philosophy of living? I have to ask you, are you prepared to die? If not, then you should settle that matter today. Don't put that off. But if so, if you're prepared to die, then be prepared to live. I began by talking about Alfred Nobel who read his own obituary and how it woke him up to change. There was another incident in which a man's name was printed in the obituary column of the newspaper by mistake. Greatly disturbed, he went to the newspaper office and exclaimed, This is horrible. Your error will cause me embarrassment and could even make mean a loss of some business for me. How could you have done such a thing? And the editor expressed regrets, but the man remained angry and unreasonable. Finally, the editor said, Cheer up, I'll tell you what. Tomorrow, I'll put your name in the birth column and give you a fresh start. <laughs> Do you need a fresh start? Think about this. Do you need a fresh start? By trusting in Christ, you can be put in the birth column. You can be born again. You can start over. You can pass from death to life. Your name will be in the birth column. And perhaps, believer, you need, you're here today and you need to count something as dead or as a loss or, so you can really come to life to God's purposes. Perhaps you need to release lost time or repent of that unholy practice that is such a hold on your life. Perhaps you need a fresh start out of your subnormal Christian walk and come alive again. Are you prepared to, to live? Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Doesn't that boil down what it means to be a Christian? Living a full life with Jesus. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you're prepared to die. We have something beautiful that awaits us. Yes, we do. We can look ahead. We ought to be excited about what's ahead. But please, don't forget about living. So I pray this morning. I don't know where you're at. I don't know which side of this you're on. I don't know if you need to prepare to die or you need to prepare to live. But just in the silence here, the few moments that we have in prayer as I close.
If you want to make that right or you want to settle this once and for all, I don't know. If you, you know me. You know me. I've shared with you that how uncommon it is for me to, to, to have a, an altar call, put in quotes, but a resp- asking for a response. But sometimes it's appropriate. Maybe it is for this morning. I don't know what God's doing in your heart. I don't know what he's doing in your heart. But if you need to settle that once and for all, then I would ask you to come forward as I'm praying or as we're silently praying. Or maybe you're a believer here and you're saying, I need to live because I forgot about that part. I don't know what God's doing. I'm leaving it with him. Let's have time of silence. Move out of your seats if you need to. And then I will close in prayer and dismiss us with that prayer. Lord, if there's someone here this morning who's never really nailed down where they're going to spend eternity, what their new location is, that you would impress on them to do something about that. They don't need pressure from me. You are capable of taking care of that. And you'll pressure them. You'll cause them to just be restless in the days to come. And I pray, if that's the case, that you would work with that individual in your time, in your way, because when you do it, it will be a beautiful thing. And Lord, for those, likely the majority here, no question the majority here, who know you, who have settled that issue of eternity, I pray that while we're prepared to die, we'd also be prepared to live And live in fullness of life with Jesus. And I hope that as we do, others that don't know Christ will come up and say, what's with you? I want that. And we'll be able to show them the way to Jesus Christ. We give it all to you. Ask for your will to be done with this message this morning, accomplishing your purposes in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.